Welcome to Mission Winnow Presents Powering Innovation, a podcast looking at the technology behind racing and MotoGP. It's been a hectic year of MotoGP action, and I'm sure that our colleagues Matt Dunn and Fran Wilde from the Last on the Breaks podcast will be glad to take a holiday from podcasting and let us talk about some different elements of what it takes to go racing in the MotoGP World Championship. My name is Steve English, and throughout the series, I'll be joined by Alberto Nasca as we discuss a range of topics relating to the technology involved in motorcycle racing. For this week's show, we'll be looking at what it takes to get race ready as we dive into how riders train and prepare for racing. But before we get started, Alberto, welcome to the show. And why don't you tell us about yourself? Hi. Hello, Steve. Hello, everyone. So every time people ask me to introduce myself, I start by saying that I'm a huge passionate about motorbikes, motorsports and MotoGP. So this is the the most beautiful thing that I can experience in my life, which is riding a motorbike on track, on the road and everywhere. So this huge passion that I have uh, made me work towards making my passion become my job. So I opened my YouTube channel three years ago. I started making videos about motorbikes. They unexpectedly grew big in Italy. So, so my YouTube channel now became my main job and I was able to start also racing. So now I'm a YouTuber, I'm racing as an amateur and I'm experiencing, and I'm experiencing some incredible things. And, I'm, and I was able also to meet MotoGP riders and training with them. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show, Nasca, and I'm excited for what this show is actually going to present as well, because for me, over the last eight years, I've been working in the MotoGP paddock, the World Superbike paddock, and before that, I was a software engineer and a telecoms engineer, so a lot of what I used to work in is actually going to come into play over the course of this this series, and I think it's going to be quite exciting to see some of the different technological aspects that go into motorcycle racing, and I'm definitely excited that I don't have the fear of a Monday morning like I used to have whenever I was an engineer. (laughs) It's nice because because we all we have the same background because I'm a software engineer too so it's crazy how we went from software engineering to to the MotoGP it's 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 nice yeah I think both of us were just terrified of having a real job and asking this is a good opportunity <laughs> yes but both of us had the same but both of us have the same passion which is the motorbikes well, over the course of the series, NASCAR, we're going to look at a lot of different elements of what happens in motorcycle racing and MotoGP in particular. We're going to look at the different innovations and technologies that we have on the bikes. So that could be something like the whole shot device or aerodynamics. We're going to look at all the different safety equipment that riders have, their leathers, the innovation we've had on track design as well to try and prolong careers, minimize injuries. We're going to look at uh, different things as well about how engineers use the data to try and improve performance on the track. We'll look at how parts are prototyped, how they're designed, how they're manufactured. And we're also going to look at how a MotoGP TV broadcast gives us something that is a fan experience unlike any other. So I think it should be a very exciting series for us. Yeah, it's going to be super interesting. I mean, the first day that we, we spoke, me and you, uh, we, we, we found so many topics to discuss. And that, that's, that's really, really awesome. It's going to be great, this podcast. Yeah, and I think we're going to jump straight into it, Nasca, as well. We're going to look at how riders train and prepare for going racing. And you said yourself there, you're an amateur racer, but you've been able to get a lot of good insights into what it actually takes to prepare for racing at an elite level. Yeah, because, you know, um, all the things that uh, motorbike racing categories have in common is that um, compared to the other sports where you can see the face of the athlete, you can see the sweat, you can see the suffering and the pain... When a MotoGP rider is riding, you cannot see his fa- you cannot see his faces. So you cannot see how much he's suffering. You cannot see how much 
effort he's putting into it because they have the helmet, they have the suit, and they are some. For me, they are some kind of aliens which make everything look easy. Okay, but what I really realize, but what I truly realized the first time that I jump on, on a racing bike is how exhausting it is to ride on track and to go fast. It's really exhausting. So, in order to be a MotoGP rider. You have to be incredibly trained, but not only for your for your body, but also for your mind, because you know that your mind is what controls your body. So if the body is working well, but your mind is not working properly, you're not gonna be fast. You're not gonna you're not gonna be winning a race. Yeah, and I think that's one of the most interesting things. Just to jump straight into in terms of. We'll look at the mind training that goes into riders and we'll look at the physical training that goes yeah. into them. And one of my favorite sayings that I've heard from any elite athlete was J.J. Watt, an American football player. And what J.J. Watt said was, success isn't owned, it's leased. And the rent's due every day. You need to put in that effort. You need to prepare everything about all of your life, whether it's how you eat, how you sleep, how you train. And you need to make sure that you're fully ready for being able to perform at your best every time you go out in the field. And for these riders, they have to take the same attitude. Every day, they're trying to get themselves fitter or stronger and get themselves fully ready to go racing. And whenever you see how they train, it's very different to how you or I would train. And I think that's one of the interesting things to start off about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the first thing that the people ask me when, I'm, when they ask me about my training or the training that I, that I see in the MotoGP riders is, uh, what do you do for training? Okay, so... The problem is that motorbike racing is quite a strange sport because in every sport, the best training is the sport itself, okay? The problem is that about motorbike racing, you cannot be every day of your life on a MotoGP motorbike because of the costs, because of the limitations for testing, for regulations. So every rider has to find a way to train himself to be ready when he gets when he jumps on the MotoGP bike. So the, the, the smartest thing to do would be to, to to ride a bike, okay? Not a MotoGP bike, but but some other bike. The problem is that it's still something very expensive, and it's still something dangerous because you know you can get injured during training. So also you are depending on the weather because if it's cold if there is snow it's if it's winter you cannot ride with a with a bike on track so every rider must find a good balance between riding the bike and training outside the track so every rider must know that the most important thing to train in order to be fit for the MotoGP racing is a cardio training is a, a training that boosts your resistance and strength but without putting on mass because every kilo that the that the rider put on himself is like tens of a seconds that you lose on a on a lap okay so the heavier you are the slower you are not only for the speed but also for the mass because you have to be tiny inside the bike when you're on the straight so I've, all the training that you do is focused on being more resistant, to be more powerful, and to train your heart. Because what's incredible is that if you measure the heartbeat, the average heartbeat of a rider during a race, we're talking about 180 BPM for 30 to 40 minutes. And this is huge. 
Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that's the big challenge for the riders to try and mimic when they're training. And when you talk to riders about how they prepare, and and Aska, you've trained with some of the riders, you've trained with a lot of the Italian riders over the last few years, and when you talk to them about how they prepare, it's not about every day you train for a 40-minute MotoGP race where you simulate Mm -hmm. what your heart goes through, what your body goes through, because that's not practical for a rider. So a lot of the time, they're working towards different goals. Sometimes that could be trying to improve their flexibility. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that could be trying to improve their strength. But like you said, the big thing is you never want to put on weight. And that's why a lot of riders, they're incredibly conscious of their weight. They're very conscious of what they eat. And you'll even see it where riders will make sure that they use the same weighing scales all the time so that they're able to have the same balance all the way through and they're able to say, okay, well, I've put on a kilo or I've put on a pound and they're able to then try and find a way to always balance that out because any time that you have put on weight, the bike has to carry that weight. And that's one of the big challenges. That's why you see some very light riders have a big advantage. Some heavier riders have a disadvantage and they all really need to be able to tailor their training very specifically for the task at hand. Yeah, exactly. If you imagine that team spend hundreds of thousands of euro every year for development in order to make the bike maybe half a kilo lighter, and then the rider puts on a kilo because he doesn't care about the, the, the way he eats or the way he trains, that's, that's a big issue. So that, that's why it's so important for rider to control their, their, their body mass. And... You know, what's really nice about motorbike racing in general is that if you think about the other sports, I don't know, the top athletes, you you don't find them outside training, okay? They train in their team, in their gym, in their private context. While for me, when I go to to Emilia-Romagna, which is the, the region in Italy where most of riders come from, you can find them training in th- you know uh, publicly uh, on track you, you go there maybe riding your pit bike and you can find uh, MotoGP riders training and that's incredible because I cannot think about any other sports where you can find something like that so to me it happened to, to train with them yeah and I think that's a good point as well Nazca because I remember there was a few times whenever I was just taking photographs at a track day and I saw someone go past with a rider's helmet on I thought oh, that's a nice uh, nice helmet that that guy has and then you walk through the paddock and then suddenly you find out oh wait no a sec that was actually a MotoGP yeah, rider same. out yeah. just in the fast group and uh, obviously Tito Rabat a very wow. famous example of being able to to use Almeria to be able to really build up all of his training and he used that to great effect to win a world championship and I think that's a very useful method for a rider to train because Tito was one of those riders that clearly thought the more he was on a bike the better it was for him he found a way to be able to do that and that was a big benefit for him but we also see some riders that say you know what nothing can prepare me for a MotoGP bike so for example Cal Crutchlow will always just be out cycling so hmm. maybe some riders it's one thing and for other riders it's a very different thing and it really is about trying to find the right balance for any individual rider yeah exactly every rider has to find his own way and what i think about cycling is that you're still training on two wheels so even if you don't have an engine you're still doing something that recalls somehow uh, the motorbike okay and you know also every rider has to consider his weaknesses okay and his strength because when you ride a bike you're doing something that is quite unnatural for your body okay if you're doing a sport where you're running we are we are engineered to run since thousands of years ago but we are not engineered to ride a bike 
So when you are on the bike, you may find out that you have problems with your legs or with your arms or with your neck. So every rider has to ride, has to train to boost his weaknesses. For example, for me as an amateur, I have very weak legs. So I'm training a lot to put more strength on the legs because another thing that people don't notice is that you ride the bike not with your arms, but with your legs. The most important part of the riding is what you're doing with your legs. So that's why many riders are cycling because you know, you use your legs for the bicycle and you also boost up your, your cardio and your, your breath, your, your resistance. Uh, yeah, so outside the track, you may find them doing motocross or small bike or cycling or whatever. It, it's a good thing that you mentioned there, the cycling as well, Nasca, because I, I was talking to some riders just in preparation for this, and they were saying that obviously a lot of riders do a lot of cycling. I mentioned Crutch, though. Alish does an awful lot as well. Lots of riders are out cycling. And some riders were actually saying that they love to go running just because it uh, uses up an awful lot more calories and awful lot more effort in a half an hour running compared to four hours of cycling. And uh, one of them, Sylvain Gintoli, former world superbike champion and Suzuki's test rider in MotoGP, He's actually a big fan of downhill mountain biking, but Sylvan's quite lazy as well. So he's got an e-bike. But if you go running and you're able to expel all your energy and you're able to use that for your training, using an e-bike is not a bad idea because you're able to use that to go up to the top of the climbs and then absolutely fly through a downhill section. And when you talk to a lot of riders, they've talked in terms of how motocross can be a bit dangerous. So we've seen some riders have bad injuries over the course of the last few years yeah. of motocross crashes. A lot of riders are actually taking to mountain biking now, which is obviously also has its dangers. Yeah. But maybe for uh, someone like Gintoli, if you're able to use the, the e-bike on the climbs and then just focus an awful lot on that feeling that you have on the downhill sections, that can be a good, good way to train as well. As you said, you're still on two wheels. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I remember when I trained with some of them, it was like two years ago, I just started racing, I just started training, riding on track, and I was with some world championship riders. And w what's incredible is that we were, we were training with the small motorbikes uh, on the kart track, okay? They use it a lot because if you use some small motorbikes um, on the kart track, the speeds are not that big, but the movements that you do on the bike are quite the same as you do the, with the MotoGP. Okay, it's just the speed which is lower. I did one lap behind them, and I was one and a half seconds slower than them. Okay, so it was not bad, but I gave my everything on that lap. <laughs> it was really, I was exhausted, but, but after just one lap, and they did like 50 laps straight at the same pace, at the same rhythm, until they end, until they finished the fuel. And when I saw them, I was still recovering from that from that one lap. And they and I asked them, "How did you do that?" Yeah, I know I'm just a bit exhausted, but now I'm gonna eat something and then I do another stint. <laughs> what? <laughs> You'll do another one? I, I like that they waited until the bike ran out of fuel and ask it. You just yeah. ran out of fuel yourself. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you, needed to, you needed to get some more energy and uh, wait down in the pits for the guys to come back in. But it's interesting, Nasco, because that's one of the key things. It doesn't matter what the sport is, because if you go running with an elite runner or you play football with a professional footballer or you go out on track with these guys, 
it's actually just their mindset and their ability to breathe and to keep calm at the key moments. That's what the big difference is. And when, when you're doing your one lap and you're really on the limit, it's very difficult to breathe. And it's very difficult then for your muscles to be able to get a break. And that's why you get tired up. That's why arm pump can be a big issue. That's why it's so taxing to try and do that one lap, whereas they're able to control that breathing really well. Yeah, exactly. Because the, the thing is that I lasted one lap, okay, maybe two. But then I had to stop because I was exhausted. And we're talking about that I did four minutes while they did 40 minutes, okay? So you may think that they are 10 times more trained than me. But the thing is that if we did something normal, like running or doing some push-ups or doing, you know, a, a training circuit, they wouldn't have been 10 times more fit than me, okay? And the thing is that they were able to last more on the bike because of their mindset, because they were able to save energies. And this is the other super important thing about riding, because you can be as much trained as you want, but if your mind is not able to keep you relaxed, if your mind is not able to keep you from burning useless energies, you're not gonna last a whole race. So that, that's, why the men, that, that's, that's why the mental training is so important. So I saw it on myself, and, and I still want to remember to all the, the people that are listening to, to us that I am an amateur, okay? But I, I seen on myself that when I ride with the pro riders, and I see, for example, that they are braking at 100 meters, while I'm braking at 120, okay, so the limit is 100 meters. When I try to brake at 100 meters, so I'm, going, I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone, my mind, my brain starts to scream screen something's like you're not gonna make it you're gonna crash stop it okay so even if i want to break at 100 my mind doesn't allow me to break at 100 maybe i can do it but i get rigid i, I start to burn energies i get scared okay so the ability to save energy is that to do something that is outside of your comfort zone to do something that is close to the limit or maybe outside of the limit and still be relaxed and calm about it and I think that's the key thing, Nasco, because what we've seen over the course of the last few years is that a healthy mind is more important than ever in MotoGP. Training your brain is more important than ever in MotoGP because all the riders are fit. The days of a rider having a significant advantage of being fitter than the other rider is gone. So now you're into those marginal gains of trying to be able to find a different way to try and find performance. And it really does seem that being able to train the mind is the new area where riders are focusing. Exactly, because uh, the mind is what controls your body. So you can have a perfect body, but if you don't have your ECU working, the body is not going to work properly. And nowadays is super important this, because the level is getting higher and higher and higher. So you have to, 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 get, to get your mindset higher and higher and higher. And we saw this year, for example, how... Um, one of the riders that I thought he was going to win the world championship in the end failed, which is Fabio Quartararo. He was the he was the fastest at the beginning. Okay, he was the only one capable of putting pressure on Mark on Mark Marquez, but Quartararo himself admitted that he had to work on his mind at the end, and you can realize how you are a rider which is going to win the world championship. 
and in the end fails because probably something on his mind was not yet ready for win the world championship. Yeah, and I think Fabio was probably the best example of it as well because obviously he won the first two races in Hareth, did the double, 50 points, and then in the next 12 races, he only scored 77 points. It shows that it's really difficult to try and take on the burden of being a favourite, of being a genuine contender, having the pressure that you have to deal with and then being able to make that next step because obviously his talent isn't in doubt. We saw that last year going toe-to-toe with Marquez, but it's a different story when the spotlight's on you, when the pressure's on you. I think that's what we saw this year and that's where it really becomes important for riders to be able to control their mind and use that ability to then get aggressive at the key times because we see other riders where again it could be the same as Fabio just where the pressure can be on and it's difficult to control that aggression at the right times yeah you also have to consider how hard it is nowadays to be always focused and to be always to to always have a clean mind because people from home are not seeing what I'm showing you but I have a smartphone on my hand And today we are living in a social media age where everything you do goes online instantly. And people is able to to text you and to interact with you instantly, okay? 10 years ago, it wasn't like that. So I have to consider that after your qualifying session, if you pick up your smartphone, you you can immediately see the news, people interacting on the social networks. And it's difficult for a rider to be to be always focused. Also considering that today for a rider, it's important to have a social media uh, account working properly. Also because of visibility, because of sponsors, because of interaction with your followers, with your fans. And you know, when 10, 15, 20 years ago, the only media was the television, the, the papers, the websites, it was something different. But now that you are the media, it's another thing that you have to work on. And that's one of the big challenges for a lot of writers right now as well, Nasca, because they're the same as all of us. They're all 20 to 35-year-old writers that have, away from the track, the same life as an awful lot of people. And for, like you said, a lot of them, it will be based around their phone. And Instagram, Twitter, social media becomes a key part of their their whole life. And uh, being able to have that interaction with their fans is important, but then it can also be a drawback as well. And what I find very interesting is, obviously, you mentioned the phones. One of the biggest problems that a lot of people have now is a lack of concentration because the mind is trained for 40 to 45 minute bursts of activity. That's why when you go to college, a lecture lasts 45 minutes. Any more than that, and people drift off. So they want to try and focus the mind for as condensed a time as possible. Obviously, that fits in quite nicely with the time it takes to have a MotoGP race. But all the rest of the weekend, it's very easy for you to get distracted. It's very easy for yourself to become overburdened. And the phone can play a big role in that. And that's actually one thing that when you talk to riders now, they do talk a lot about trying to leave the phone in their in their in their trailer, leave the phone away from them so that they're able to focus up and really work hard. And I think that's something that over the course of the next five years, for a lot of the Moto3 riders and Moto2 riders that are coming through now, they're really the first generation that's always had their phone. Because before that, you're looking at a lot of riders that are coming to the end of their careers, they're in their 30s, and they, 
you know, a smartphone's only an invention for the last 10 years, basically. So suddenly you've got these younger writers that have had a very different upbringing than the previous generation of writers. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a big deal because it's something new. It's something that arrived in the last 10 years. So even, you know, the, the psychologists and the, the literature about that is it, it, not yet well uh, informed about this. They are still studying the effects of the social media and on the smartphones on our minds. So it's complicated. It's complicated. And I realized how important it is for the riders to forget about social media and forget about the phones during the racing weekend. Because I have many, I know many of them. I I'm in contact with them, with many of them, and I see that where when we are close to the race, they are not answering to the phone. They don't answer to the messages. While during the winter, we we chat every day. We we I send them messages. We we talk about everything. While during the racing season, they're like not existing. Probably they just focus to the, their closest friends, to their family, and to their team. And I think that's probably the best way for them to be as well. And, and Nasca, when we were talking before we went on air, we were talking about how important it can be for the mind to get a break, to get some rest. Obviously, over a race weekend, it's very difficult to get the right amount of sleep. But what we've seen over the course of the last 10, 15 years is that being able to get your sleep has become an incredibly important part of training, of preparing, of being able to perform at your best. And being able to get that rest, being able to have your mind actually take the time to get all of the chemical balances in your body right, that's crucial. And over the course of a race weekend, if you're being distracted by your phone, because, like I said, riders are the same as everyone else. They'll watch Netflix before going to sleep. So suddenly they've got that little screen on all the time and the blue light keeps you awake. So being able to rest and being able to get that sleep is absolutely crucial for a rider. Yeah, how important rest is, uh, I learned it this year because uh, I asked to my personal trainer, um, what, is it good if I train six days in a row to be more fit for the race? And then he, he told me, no, you have to rest. And I said, okay, be, but, but if I rest, I, I'm not training. And the answer he gave me is this, rest is training. It's something that you have to consider. If you overtrain, you will be performing less than if you than if than if you train properly. So rest is training. It's something that you have to consider. And about rest, I'm not just talking about sleeping or you know standing on the couch watching TV. It's also resting your mind, which means doing some activities, which means doing nothing. Sometimes doing nothing is like training. Oh, then I should be an elite athlete at this stage then, Nasca, because I do very little, <laughs> especially during the winter. But it, it is interesting to see how riders do use that to really focus themselves up. Because when you look at the riders on the grid, you'll always see them wearing their headphones. Sometimes it's just because they're sponsored by someone with, with a headphone company. But uh, a lot of the time it's because they're listening to music or they've got something on. And I remember I was asking one rider, just like, what are they listening to? And they said, oh, I like to listen to some heavy metal. It really gets, gets me going. It gets the blood pumping. I'm ready for the race. And then I talked to another rider and he said, well, actually, what I'm listening to is the birds and the waves of the ocean. <laughs> and it's to try and calm myself down and get myself really into a zone. And I don't want to be distracted on the grid. I don't want to talk to, I don't want to talk to anyone. The team leaves me alone. I don't get interviewed on the grid and I just listen to the sound of the ocean. And it was really interesting to see what two riders in the same championship, the same paddock, we're looking at 
for being able to get at their best. It shows just again how unique everyone is on the grid. Yeah, can you imagine that? I I, I remember one race where I saw Marco Marquez uh, with the with the heartbeat monitor. He was at a, at 205 when the red lights came on, and I, I I cannot imagine him listening to the birds in that moment. So that's something that that is crazy. It's crazy, but it's fun to see how each rider finds his way to to clean to clear his mind. It's it's wonderful what you just told me. And for me, one of the things that's quite interesting is just always how everyone manages to control themselves over whether it's the race or the season because I think this year especially was the most stressful season imaginable we had everything condensed into you know basically four months and it was tough for everyone in the paddock it was tough for the riders it was tough for engineers it was tough for mechanics it was tough for truck drivers driving the paddock from one side of Europe to the other and to be able to control that to be able to keep yourself calm to be able to keep yourself fresh and ready was really important. And I think that was one of the key things that we saw that came into riders' mentalities over the course of this year because they didn't have a calendar for a long time. They didn't have a definitive, we're going to go racing on this date. They just had, we're going to go racing at some point, so you need to stay fit and ready all the way through. And that's a big challenge for anyone. Yeah, for anyone, not only for the riders, but also for the team, you know, because sometimes we forget about uh, the thing that the rider can win if he have a proper team that is able to provide him the best bike on the grid. So for all this system, which is bigger than we think, this year was super stressing, especially because we just mentioned that how important it is to relax and to chill and to recover the energies. And this year, in some situation, we were not even able to go out for dinner, okay, to meet friends. So I cannot imagine how hard it was this year for the riders, really. An Italian not being able to go to a coffee shop. It must yeah. be horrendous <laughs> for you, Nasca. <laughs> yeah, we, we really went mad about that. <laughs> it was super bad for us. For, for me, Nasca, just before we move on to the next topic we're going to cover, but there's only a couple of things left really to talk about the mental side of racing. And one of the key things is having a pre-race ritual. I talked about like on the grid you might listen to music, but we've seen Rossi always go down and grab a peg. We've seen riders that put on gloves in a specific way. Having that system makes a big difference because it's all about having a routine. And I remember one of the key reasons for this comes from military training. And in the military training, it's really important to you always see the films where Marines dress their bed every day. And the reason for that is they start every day with the same process. So even if the worst thing happens during the course of the day and they have a, a really bad day in battle, they come back and they still see, oh, no, I did something right today. I dressed my bed correctly. And that's part of what the pre-race ritual comes from as well. It's where riders are always able to have the same kind of system before they get on the bike. And it's really important to be able to go through that same process all the time. Yeah. And one thing that you you probably didn't mention, but uh, it's something that some people don't think about, but it's super important, is that many riders, even world champions, are superstitious. So these rituals are not just to find their comfort zone, but it's just, are also meant to make them feel safe, okay? Because, you know, I, I remember a rider which always was bringing a toothbrush 
on their grid, not him, but the, his mechanic <laughs> was bringing the toothbrush because the first time they won a race, he forgot the toothbrush on the on the pocket of, the, of his trousers. So after that, he said, okay, this is going to bring luck. So we're going to bring it every day on the grid. And it's not something that happens just on the amateurial championships. It's something that happens also on the world championships, having these rituals for superstitious reasons. And it's yeah. fun. And if you ask these things to a rider... He gets angry to you because he feels that you're going to break something in his superstitious mechanism. And yeah, they're not superstitious, Nasco. Uh, they're just a little stitious, some of them, and they want to make sure <laughs> that they cover all their bases. And we're all the same because I know for me, before I go com to, to commentate on a race, I'll always make sure that I've got my papers in the right place and you've got your system set up so that you know what to expect. And I think that's the key thing for the riders. They want to know exactly what to expect. Yeah, also because one thing that I realized, in my, I learned in my life outside from racing, it happens in everything, is the, I think it's called the law of attraction. I don't know if it's called like this in English. In Italiano is legge dell'attrazione, which is literally law of attraction, which means that if you're thinking about something, your brain will makes you go that direction okay so our brain is like our eyes okay so have you ever noticed that sometimes when you're walking on the road and you see somebody coming your way eventually you crash into each other and the reason why you crash into each other because it's you're looking to, to each other okay but if you look to your right and he looks to your right you don't crash into each other okay so that's because your body, go your body goes where your eyes are looking, okay? Th it is the same for the mind. Your body and y you itself, okay, you will go where your brain is looking at, okay? So if you're looking towards winning the race, your brain will do everything he can to win the race. But if you're looking towards, oh my god, I'm going to lose the race, your brain will go towards something that will make you lose the race. Uh, it's something that happens, for, especially in car racing, okay? It doesn't happen in motorbike racing because you don't have the mirrors, okay? But in car racing, you have the mirrors. So if you are second and you keep looking at the third, which is behind you, he will pass you because you are not focused on the first one. While you don't have to look at the mirrors, you have to look at the car in front of you, okay? And that's the same about motorbike racing. You have to look with your mind towards the goal. Yeah, target fixation. You've got to make sure that you focus on the right things. And for me, one of the interesting things for riders that we've seen them have to focus on, and Nasca, unfortunately, you're able to give us quite a bit of insight into this, yeah, is injury recovery and uh, rehabilitation. Because there's a big difference between being injured and being hurt. And when you talk to riders about riding with an injury, it might mean where they've, you know, they've broken a finger or they've, you know, got some uh, a foot injury or an ankle or anything like that, and they're able to still ride. They're still able to perform, but if they're actually properly injured, they're not able to perform. They have to withdraw from an event. They have to sit on the sidelines. And I remember asking one rider what it's like to ride while you're hurt, and they said that you know what, the first time you do it is really difficult, and the first time could be something as simple as you know they've broken a nail and they're trying to put their glove on and it's really sore, but then yeah. they say you know what, I'll get through it. And then the next time it's where they're 
racing with a broken bone and they get through it and then the next time it's another injury and they get through it and I think that's one of the key things for riders is that they're able to get through things and I think that probably the best example of it, of it that we saw this year was Sam Lowe's at the tail end of the Moto2 season racing in Valencia and Portimao with broken bones in his hands because there's a world championship to be won and you've got to make sure that you power through that yeah uh, if we talk about injuries you know motorbike racing is 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 weird it's complicated it's crazy because for some reason it's bad for the injuries whilst from some for some other reasons it's good because you know i think motorbike racing is one of the only sports in the world where you can have a super bad injury in your career and then still be able to perform at the highest level while for example if you're a football player and you break your knee ligaments Sometimes it means you're going to end your career because you're not going to recover from that. While for motorbike racing, you can compensate with the rest of your body. So, for example, if you break your knee ligament, you can compensate with your ankle, with your pelvis, with something else. Okay, Because you're not using 100% of your body to perform, but you're using a motorbike. Okay, So you just need to adapt to ride the motorbike. And that's good because it's, we have seen riders recovering from injuries that in other sports would have meant ending the career and then coming back on the motorbike and winning the races. While, on the other hand, motorbike racing is bad because it's quite easy to get injured. Much easier than other sports. Because, you know, you're going at 350 on two wheels and every time you're riding, the part of the wheel that is sticking to the ground is as big as a credit card. So you're going at 350 on two credit cards. And it's hard to find the limit without crashing. And this is why it's easy to get injured in motorbike racing. Yeah, and I think that ability to adapt and recover that you were talking about there, Nasca, I think the best example of that is always going to be McDoon because he nearly lost his leg and then suddenly within, you know, I think it was six weeks, he was back on a bike, still trying to win a world championship and then goes on to win five championships. And it could very easily have been a career ending injury. And for me, one of the interesting innovations that we've seen over the course of the last few years in terms of being able to not so much predict it, but to, to understand about the injuries are how some teams and the Kawasaki team and World Superbike do this a lot. They send their riders in for a DEXA scan. And it's basically a, a way to be able to check the bone density and uh, how likely you are to break bones in injuries and different crashes. So it gives them an understanding to say, not so much whether or not you're going to break bones, because chances are for any rider throughout their career, they're going to break some bones. But it's more just about how fast you can recover from that, how that transitions over the course of through a season, year on year, and then they're able to really understand how the body evolves. So if you've got someone like Jonathan Ray that's been with the team going into his sixth season, suddenly you've got all this information that says, okay, well, this is what Ray's body type was like in 2015 when he started with the team. And he would have done another scan only a couple of weeks ago for Kawasaki and then they can say okay at the end of 2020 this is how it's changed and that makes a big difference for being able to tailor his recovery and his recuperation after injuries as well and to understand how you need to train him over the course of the year yeah and this makes all of us understand how how is evolving the more the more bike racing how MotoGP and more sports are evolving not just in terms of the 
of the development of the motorbike, but also in terms of the development or all the things that are around it. So about, you know, training, about recovering, about medicine and all this stuff. And another thing that I realized is that when you're riding or when you're racing, the adrenaline level is so high that you don't feel the pain, okay? And you mentioned me uh, talking about rehab because I'm going through rehab because I had a very bad crash in July and I broke my astragalus, my ankle, I dislocated the ankle, I broke one vertebra, I broke some ligaments. So it's an injury that if I was a football player, it would have meant the end of my career while with more bikes, I will be able to go back to, to, to race. And the thing that I realized is that I feel pain walking, but I don't feel pain riding. Okay, that's because the adrenaline doesn't let you feel pain. And this is a double-edged sword. Because on one hand, it allows you to race even if you're injured. But on the other hand, it makes the rider risk to recover too fast. For example, we saw it this year with Mark Markets. What happened? It meant losing the whole year and risking even the 2021 because he recovered too fast. Yeah, and I think that that's always the risk for the riders is to come back too soon because probably one of the most famous examples that we've seen in the last few years was when Jorge Lorenzo broke his collarbone at Assen. Really nasty crash. We all thought, well, that, that's that's it. Jorge's, Jorge's going to be out for a few rounds. And I remember I was leaving the paddock on, this was when Assen was still racing on the Saturday. I was leaving on the Friday night because I had to go... Uh, I had to I had to leave in, to go into town and I saw Jorge coming back into the paddock and it was himself and Wilco Zielenberg walking back in and I, I said like what are you doing here? And he says I'm going to race tomorrow and I was thinking oh yeah good luck with that absolutely no belief that he was going to be able to do it and instead he comes back he races the next day and then obviously he has another crash the next weekend in Saxon Ring breaks the collarbone again comes back from that and at the end of the season, he was trying to win the championship right up until the last round. But after that season, all the way through the winter, the mental toll of having to put himself through that was such that he couldn't physically prepare for the next season. And it actually meant that in 2014, he really struggled because he pushed himself to such a degree to come back so early after that collarbone crash. Because again, it was a rider that looked at it and said, I've got a world championship to win. I've got to make sure I'm on the grid. Yeah, yeah, that's that's important what you mentioned because you just didn't mention the, the body but also the mind because it takes a huge effort with your mind to be able to get back on the bike with an injury because of the pain, because of what you've been through, because of being able to overcome the fear to get injured again. Because, you know, if you touch a pen which is hot and you, you realize it, then you're not going to touch it again. So if you do that corner at 200 and you crash, you're not going to do it again at 200. So you have to, to, to train your brain to be able to overcome the fear of doing it again. And this is a big effort. This is huge. Yeah, it takes that toll. It takes that strain on the rider. And it, it is a big challenge for them to try and overcome that. And I think that's why it's quite interesting when you look at the full cycle, Nasca, that we've gone through. We've looked at how riders prepare physically in the gym, how they can train on, on a track or a motocross or a flat track, and then how they can train their mind and how they're able to use meditation techniques, how they're able to use a sports psychologist. 
and then how they're able to put all those things to good use to try and recover from injuries because it really is a case of a strong mind can help you recover from the injuries quickly and then having that strong body already gives you a big benefit and that's why we see riders come back so quickly from their injuries. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I hope that whatever, all the things that we talked about in this podcast allowed our, our listeners to understand how, how difficult it is to be at the top level of the MotoGP racing. Especially considering that we didn't mention the technical part, which is the riding. Okay, we just talked about training, mindset and injuries, but we didn't mention the most important one, which is being able to ride the bike fast. Yeah, and I think that uh, that's probably the one thing that we're going to leave out over the course of this series as well, because we're going to look at a lot of the underlying technologies that go into MotoGP and motorcycle racing at an elite level over the course of these these shows. And uh, obviously, like I said, we're going to look at different things like the innovations on a bike. So things like the whole shot device, aerodynamics, how they've changed how riders then have to use a bike. We're going to look at things like how 3D printing can be used to prototype parts. We're going to look at a TV broadcast and how technology has tried to bring that forward. And then we've got another couple of shows as well where we'll look at things like the rider safety and all the technology that goes into that. So it's going to be an action-packed show all the way through. This is only episode one. And uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of the series already, Nasca. Yeah, really. I can't wait to go deep in the other topics because I'm curious. I'm really curious about that. And I, I really think that all the passionate people that are watching us, that are listening to us, that are watching MotoGP, are also curious to see what's really going behind the scenes in MotoGP. Okay, well, thanks for joining us on the show, Nasca. It's been a lot of fun to talk about the technology behind what goes into preparing for a MotoGP race for these riders and how they train and how they get themselves ready. And a big thank you to everyone for joining us on Mission Winnow Presents Powering Innovation. Be sure to leave a comment or a rating on your podcast platforms. And until next time on the show, it's a big thank you from myself, Steve English, and a big thank you from Alberto Nasca. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, everyone. And see you in the next episode. Yeah.